Come on, Windows. It's not that hard. You can do it. Now I'm replacing you. Just, just hang in there. Close all the things. <laughs> I can restart my one? computer today. Yeah, <laughs> Still wow. crap all over. <laughs> <sighs> feeling better? You're back in the shop. I'm feeling better. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <gasps> Recording. Oh uh, yeah. Feeling ninety-five percent. Wow. Yeah. It's quick. One hundred percent. But this morning I'm like, mm, yeah, not quite. Yeah, but routine. Yeah, but <laughs> energy level's good. Thankfully. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Glad to see it. Glad we're not like in a tent. Not that that wasn't cool. fun, but just for your sake. <laughs> it's good to check in. What's happening at your end this week? We did some job shop work. Got some parts to go out. I've got a pile of whiteboard prototypes. Or not prototypes, it's actually a production run that need to go to the finisher, which is nice. Those have been in process since like months. Nice. Now, is that what you're countersinking in the steel? Yeah, those were drawer fronts for Mike house. I'm making, I made some custom like side tables for our bedroom and I was always intending them to be steel fronts and the slightly outside of my normal range. So I never actually got those finished like a year <laughs> ago. And so they've been plywood, like crappy plywood. That are kind of a surprise for my wife. The whiteboards are also steel. Have you got a monitor, like a, a CCTV of the workshop up there or yeah. like a screen? Yes. Yeah, up here. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> always looking I'm, out that direction when yeah. you're considering what's happening in the workshop. I'm like, yes. oh, maybe you can see something. Uh-huh. Yeah, There's cool. a couple of views and the printer's also going right now and I can see a little bit of that. So it's definitely so helps me visualize what, what is actually happening out there. <laughs> what are we working on? <laughs> Gazing out the digital window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice. Pretty useful. Yeah, how about you? Um, just glad to be back, really. Yep. I had a couple of days working at home at the start of the week because I couldn't quite clear my cough, and technically I couldn't go back until I was clear of that. And working from home was fine, but, you know, pretty hectic with the two little ones running around. Squat to the tent again. So came back in yesterday, and it was just really nice to be back in here and in amongst it and getting yeah. on with things. Yeah, but at the same time... You know, get that perspective of having been off for a week and then coming back in and sort of, I was shocked this week to discover how much time I spend in meetings. Oh, it's like, wow, this is my life now. Like, I'm going to quit this you know, job. Part of, <laughs> part of it was catching up on stuff I'd missed. Yeah. But a lot of it was just, you know, stuff that's in my default diary. That's just meeting after meeting or call or. Yeah. Hmm. Zoom meeting with a client. It's all valuable stuff, but yeah. yeah, I guess having been away and then come back, I was like, oh, wow, I, I spend a lot of my week doing this now. So that was a good little perspective shift to mm-hmm. become aware of that. But no, I go pretty well. We're kind of, I suppose we're running into the end. We have a mid-year financial year. Oh. When does your financial year end? I just somehow ended up with the calendar year. I don't know how that happened okay. forever ago. What can you do either or over there? I don't really know. I don't. We had a lawyer help us start the LLC, and I somehow that worked out. Okay, it's just always been calendar year, which is nice. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Our financial year starts in July, first of July. So we're trying to hit a certain revenue target mm-hmm. with about six six weeks to go. So chasing the custom work pretty hard and also we'll do like a bit of a marketing push, I think, over the next six weeks to try and get the web orders flowing again. But it's so weird, like we chatted about the other day when we were talking marketing, it's out of the blue this week. So I had a chat with Will from Concrete Digital, who's our guy that helps us with marketing and then i don't think he changed anything at his end yet we just started making plans for the next you know six weeks and then yesterday just out of nowhere midweek like we usually don't sell anything on the website midweek it's always sort of after hours or you know weekends you know people at home interesting and then yesterday wednesday we had a like i haven't checked but possibly a record day of sales just out of nowhere just like Really weird. Whoa, something just drastically changed on your microphone. Spiked, yeah, I saw that spike. <laughs> it sounded like I was in your throat. It sounds good now. Yeah, cool. 
Wow, that's that's <clears throat> fantastic. Did you get? Do you see? I think Shopify has decent data on that, but you see like attribution. Like, you have any idea what it was? I find the attribution data really patchy. Yeah, it is. Like almost all the sales that I looked at that came through yesterday were just like you know, first session direct from. It was either a direct URL or it was just just yep. a direct visit from search. Very rarely do we see an attribution to marketing efforts in Shopify. It's very frustrating when you like have all this analytics set up and then you can't tell like <laughs> the most specific thing. It's like this is this should be always the case. I should always know, you know, like unless somebody's using some even if they're using a VPN, you'd still see that they clicked on a Google like link, you know, like mm. it, it shows where they come in anyway. Yeah, I always find that interesting. Yeah. I don't know if this is just me, but I find myself when I get served an ad that piques my interest in Instagram or something, I'll often close Instagram and then go off to a set, you know, <laughs> just open a new tab in Chrome yeah. and go direct search to their website. I'm definitely adverse to following link clicks through ads. Yeah. I wonder whether that's more common well, than I think it is. I I don't know. I guess I know exactly what you mean. And I think the when you were describing it, I was thinking it's like kind of the best practice of not clicking on a phishing link. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like go open it yourself. Yeah. Don't click on the link. Exactly. But yeah, no, good to be back. Plenty of stuff going on. Yeah. Things yeah. continued to go fine without you. Yeah, seemingly. That's something I've been considering too this week is what did I not do last week that just worked without me that I can now sort of having proven that can I what can I delegate or Mm -hmm. just get off my plate yeah so that's been an interesting exercise the other main thing that I think has come to light is just how finite my R&D time is product development time yeah I either need to make some hard decisions about clearly saying no or starting to sort of shut down doing product development for other people mm-hmm. and just really focusing on doing product development for us. Been thinking about that a lot this week. Yeah. Well, you see, you must be seeing, you've, you've mentioned this a couple times, you must either A, want to do it for yourself. I think we both have that feeling or you're seeing yeah. that like the rise in sales or something like you're, you're seeing a trend where it's becoming a better deal for you to do it for yourself than than other people for you for the basically business? yeah yeah i think it's just really hard to quote r&d for other people mm-hmm. and then make any money on it while whilst it can be a really rich conversation and relationship with a client it's yeah it's very hard to charge i find it hard to charge enough for it legitimately Maybe. but i was interested in terms of product development like what your process is in terms of idea generation. <laughs> like are you someone that's led by a problem or do you just find yourself coming up with random ideas? Like, yeah, what's your process there? Oh boy, all, it's been all <laughs> over the place. I can very easily say though right now that the best, let's say products are the things that we've that have worked the best, that have sold, that have had the greatest reception are all solving problems like genuinely and it's usually like i think most of them have come from oh my ideas i guess or my starting point and they're usually something in my life that i don't like (laughs) and want to improve and when that genuinely works and it's not super super niche it turns into something that I don't know, like the laptop stand. Actually, my friend came up with that, but like this calendar, I just never could visually like process the serpentine back and forth of a calendar. When I'd look at it, I'd be like, ah, which week is? And then if you jump to the next line and it just was hard for me to see. So I made a calendar that was top to bottom one through 31. And I printed it on my friend, had a plotter and yeah. So it's just a linear yeah. drop. Yeah, that's cool. I never intended to sell it really. And then, yeah, that's kind of, I've slowly trained my brain from now it's like, well, could I make a thing that would be a product that would also be this problem solving thing? Because obviously it's turned into a business. We've tried the opposite way over the years here and generated by, oh, we have all these great tools. How do we make a product that, for example, the mill could make? And that never works. It's like almost know, perverse right? in its way that it creates a product. 
it honestly never has. It just never, you get so far in it and you're like, well, what is this? What are we trying to solve in the end here? This isn't even a good thing. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I've definitely had that thought before of like trying to justify new tools or different equipment and trying to come at it from that angle. But it's, yeah, it's almost impossible to come back from that direction, I reckon. Like I find it much more powerful to be, to have the limitation of what we've already got, whether it's the tooling or the machine that's available and then trying to solve a problem with what's available and then, yeah, getting creative with the means to do that yeah yeah i've definitely tried to um, train right. myself to think over the years and it like there's a lesson they try to teach us early on in school that constraints are usually for the better in the end like if you if you yeah. get a, a blank check and somebody says you can use any tool you want you can buy any tool you know it can be any size it's probably gonna suck in the end it's just not gonna be good there's probably examples of that i don't i can't think you know off of my head but i guess uh, an example would be a McMansion, right? You know, those like crappy, it's probably mostly American. There's, there's websites oh, dedicated no, we to this yep. where people have all the money and nobody will tell them no. <clears throat> and so they have 17 styles of window on the front of their house because they thought it looked cool, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Constraints make for better things. I definitely know what you mean there. Yeah, absolutely. I found on product development, I don't think I've had a better personal feeling about developing products than in the last like year and a half working on this knack wall thing, because whatever it is about it, the like constraint being that it is this kind of notched wall of a grid means that it's, you know, whatever we make that goes with it has to work on that system. These, these holes, yeah. you kind of start somewhere and it has to work with that. And almost every time we, we've made it in different places all around the shop just to test it, to kind of evolve different aspects of it. And it's like I, I mentioned before, the kind of morale around creating a thing to solve a problem for your own space that could mm. be something you sell is fantastic. And I just I love every time I think there's like one thing that we've really been challenged by, which is making just a simple peg or like a hook. Yep. <laughs> they all looked either every time it's either looks like a thumb or like a male sex member (laughs) every time (laughs) cannot get away from it and i guess maybe this is the good transition to that we made this little thing i showed on instagram it's the the peg and it goes with the t clamp and there's actually one holding up my bag i put my bag on the floor yesterday it's got its own problems but yeah this was pretty satisfying to finally come up with something that wasn't it still has a thumb aesthetic, I think, in the end, but... It does, yeah. It looks pretty heavy-duty. Yeah. Two inches Can you hang thick. off it? Probably, yeah. It's probably, especially with the, the aluminum backer, but yeah, it's simple for now. These are just prototypes. Cool. They need a little bit more polish to them, but... Well, that's cool. Yeah. I'm interested looking at your wall behind you, and, like, I've got, you know, peg, we've made pegboards, but yeah. I suppose more broadly, when you're designing a system... Mm-hmm. How quickly did you commit to like the spacing of the holes? <laughs> and do you, do you have doubts as you move forward about whether that was the right decision and backwards compatibility and stuff like that? I find that's a really challenging area when you're developing more than just a singular product. You're trying to develop a world or a system of parts that all talk to each other. I got really lucky or maybe it was some kind of like Years of design intuition, but I doubt that. I think I just got lucky. I was working on it <laughs> at like Christmas at my in-laws two years ago. I was like, I always get kind of, I won't say bored necessarily, but my mind wanders and everybody was off doing something. And I was like, oh, we should we should get back to that grid wall thing we were working on at one point. And I yeah. came up with kind of the spacing that just seemed like it worked. It's uh, 200 millimeters apart. Metric. Yeah. I, I went with all metric, which is kind of crazy. And... The, the answer to why was that all of, if I make the panel sizes, they fit inset on a standard sheet of plywood here. Like I can get three of these panels from one sheet of plywood and cut all yep. the sides and all the spacings. Like we don't have to get into fractions at all, which is fantastic. And it actually just perfect reason why metric is definitely better. <laughs> I've never <laughs> disputed that. It's just unfortunate here. So I, I think I got lucky in that sense. And what's great about how this works is we actually have a 
hundred millimeter spacing on this wall. That was the first one we did. And it yeah. it was just a little too much in the end. And this is kind of a nice happy medium for now. But you could totally yeah, cool. it can't go we couldn't go wider spacing and have things still work on it. But this way we could go down and then have more adjustability. Yeah, nice. I guess 200 is quite big to start with, but it's also, it's a very neat number. So you can halve that and still have things work. Yeah. yeah. Like one of the, if <laughs> we thought about the next version that we haven't sold this one yet, but it would be to make smaller panels that have finer spacing yet. Yeah. So like little organizer board kind of things. But that clip onto the bigger board. Yeah, you totally could. Yeah, we've, we've made one mm. of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like a yeah, nested sort of. endless stacking sh- <laughs> board of boards sub board mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's cool i find um with our kit aparts shelving system i committed to dimensions too early <laughs> and now like or whatever two years later i've got doubts or just yeah like there's things i really want to change but at the same time i want to maintain backwards com- compatibility for all the customers who already have one so it's like, do I add, you know, another six components to the family mm. to ensure that everyone can do everything? Or do I just like email all of those customers who already have one and say like, this is, hey, this is it. We'll, we'll continue to service you. Like yeah. there's this, the select group of you. Thanks for being, you know, <laughs> early. <laughs> Thanks for getting in early, but we're going to change all the dimensions from here on in. So yeah, I'm a bit torn about that. And I was chatting to a friend about it who was like, just, you know, the sooner you do that, the better, like (laughs) for everybody. Even as you're describing that, I think you brought that up a bit ago and Mm. it's easier for me to sit here and say, yeah, just do it because assuming you're going to keep making it longer than you have. The big question would be, is it somehow going to open up more opportunity, more sales in the end than... Mm. Unfortunately, you got to like squash the old thing. And as long as you could come back to it, I suppose. But the, the real downside to that is in a lean sense, why would you keep two product lines, right? Like your you're yeah. inventory, yeah. you're wasting it. You're hoping those people hopefully buy something else from you when they maybe already just they've got what they need. Yeah, I, I think most of most of those people will probably just have the thing and that's as much as they'll ever have. So yeah, I just need to bite the bullet and, and but then it's committing, it's committing to the new numbers, Yeah, you know, and then saying, cool, this is a, the new system that's going to work for the next two years. And then I'll change my mind again and decide that it's not quite right. <laughs> the, the version of that, I think I probably brought this up, but people listening to this are like, you guys have already talked about this, but the version of that for me was the thickness of these dang panels particularly when it's pre-laminated and you can't affect the thickness. We're finding that with the new hoop pine plywood we're using, it's way less dimensionally stable in its thickness than birch. We're finding like 0.6 millimeter variation across within the sheet, not just across a pack, but within one sheet. So what's that in? Freedom Point, units. Point zero two four inches. So yeah, that's a whole, been a whole new challenge for us because we can put stuff through the wide belt sander and tolerance things, but when the variations, you know, coming up to almost a millimeter, it's like then you start breaking into glue lines and just yeah, messing things up. It's been tricky. Mm, but yeah. then when you've got your your backing boards, which are like their HPL both sides, right? Oh, there's like a backer sheet, but it's the same thickness. Back, yeah. yeah. So you're basically stuck with that thickness stock. And then you got to hope that the next, you know, in a year's time, the stock is still the same thing. Exactly. Thickness, right? That we can still get it. That, oh, dude. Yeah, honestly, you're making me feel a little bit better in this whole conversation of why it's not on sale yet, because all of these things have been <laughs> concerns the last year and a half of like killed it the first time. I think it was the beginning of 2021. We worked on it for about 40 days or something, and we were just killing it. Like so many great ideas. I think we built this side of the office right away. We were so excited. Yeah. And then... The world just had a, I don't remember at that time, it was like the first time there were vendors were starting to talk about plywood not being a thing or too expensive. And yeah. I was like, this seems like a bad idea. You know, like we're early in this process and this product that we need may just disappear. So then we waited and kind of came up again. And now it's kind of back in that same place after we spent 
months and months working on it and and had to adjust some of those tolerances, thankfully, before we ever sold any. So there's different incarnations around this office that the shop that, you know, don't work anymore on different versions. That's always the nightmare is that I've always thought, you know, people would buy a kit and then probably buy something else over time, but not like a whole new set of things. Mm -hmm. But and that needs to work. Yeah, I would probably reverse it back on you and say (laughs) no Hmm. yes yes from a design point of view yes it needs to work yes but 90 percent of the people who buy a knack wall kit Mm -hmm. may never buy more accessories ever again like it's can they're going to put it up on their wall in their home office or whatever and that might be it. it yeah and i think it's more important to get it out there and into real people's hands yes. for user feedback and, and just to sell yeah. stuff. I think it's more important to do that than trying, yeah, trying to get at the next, you know, yeah, 10% of perfection. I definitely agree. It's just always some, I, I continue to find weird excuses, I think, for why <laughs> either it's material or waiting on something and just I'm trying to turn it into products on shopify and a marketing website that process has been slower than it should be too so i i definitely agree i'm curious now for kit parts have you come out with things and have people continued to buy add-on pieces or is that really a thing for you yeah i see a little bit of activity with people buying extra bits and pieces you know an extra shell for a few extra dowels but in the scheme of things it's very it's a very small volume for sure yeah yeah I wonder if there's yeah. an opportunity there for like selling to those people, like marketing to those people, like through email or something like, hey, do you know you can add on a, a shelf? If we had a decent, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if we had a decent like email user base, then totally. But we only started collecting emails in the last six months or something. So uh-huh. it's a tiny, tiny list. And we've done a few like EDM email outs using the Shopify platform. It's like you can see the stats and it's like three people open this email. So, What's EDM? Good point something direct mail oh. electronic direct mail i don't oh, know i see yeah marketing speak i don't either so can i buy can i go on pdx cnc and buy a neck kit yeah no 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 i'm working on. on on the marketing page and hopefully have it available here shortly but yeah everything's figured out to this point there, there was always something we were waiting on we had to change materials and yeah it's been way too slow but yeah i just need to get it done just there. make stuff that's what they say. Thanks. That's that's what they say. <laughs> oh wow! I just tried to find your CNC calendar, and I just went down an Etsy rabbit hole and found all sorts of awful things. My vertical calendar. Yeah. 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 It's a weird, small world of printed calendars that still exist. There's a group of people that still want them. Frightening. Let's see if this works. This is the thing I've been working on. See that tiny little printer that, screen. Is that a live view of your printer? Yeah. Get out. Yeah. It streams via <laughs> a, a Raspberry Pi. And it's actually just like a, a PC webcam hooked into USB. Too, too good. It's pretty cool. Love it. It's making a time lapse at the moment. But so this is the, I don't have good words for it. It's the funnel that converts from five inch duct down to kind of the top <laughs> of our spindle. So it'll be, this is why I want a printer. <laughs> it's pretty great. This is from this morning at like nine o'clock. It's going pretty well. It's PETG, so it should be pretty durable, and it should improve like 150% or so volume of what we've been using now with our shop saver. Here's a little time lapse. It's only a bit of it. <laughs> oh, nice. What's that software? This is called Octoprint. I think I mentioned it before okay. when I was bitching about Fanuc being so crappy. Because this is free open source software that you can run your printer with, and I can control it from my phone. (laughs) And do time lapse in it. Time lapse. I can, you know, temperature graphs. I've got, uh, it has a plugin like repository. So all these, most of these things are plugins like the Octolapse and yeah, most of these. I suppose it it speaks to the users, right? Like how many people have a 3D printer versus how many people have a a Fanuc mill? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot to that, but I'm, it's just, I think about it, it's like, can I get Octoprint to control my mill? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, pretty stoked about that. So this is hopefully going to turn into a thing we sell 
because I mentioned it before, the, our machine, the shop sabers, just don't have very good stock dust collection. And yeah. part of the problem is the size of the port. And then also like just the way it's designed. I did a video about upgrading our ATC rack. And part of that plan was always to do this, this dust collection portion. And it's designed to be a direct swap for what comes on your shop saver. And nice. then you could potentially also add improvements if you say have the style of little pedestals that we designed to kind of improve it and focus it more. I haven't designed that part yet, but this was the first step and I've been working on it for like probably off and on for a year. And yeah, well, wow. okay. Be fun. That's cool. It's pretty much exactly the part that we need to make. <laughs> Oh, for, really? our, for, tr for Trinity, because Trinity's dust collection is terrible. Like it goes from our 150 mil, six inch duct, you know, mm -hmm. work, workshop yep. system yep. that comes down and then it goes through this adapter onto the machine spindle head and it goes down to like a really small, maybe 50 mil hose, two inch, and then through this convoluted like cast aluminium dust to it. And it's like, it's terrible, 50 really. Mil? Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. Way too small. And it's got this weird pneumatic dust foot. It's like a pressure foot, so you can flick a switch on the control and it, oh, yeah. it pushes That's down cool. on the material lightly, which is kind of cool, but it also just rides around and scratches everything because it's not picking up all the dust. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like grinding the chips into the surface of the film face plywood. So we, like John runs that up out of the way almost all the time. Yeah. So we, we desperately need to rebuild that foot and make something that actually gets the dust out but yeah 3d printing on the the pencil sharp that has very agricultural dust collection and you know still doesn't have proper guards on it and things like that i've definitely thought about being able to print beautiful little scoopy forms for dust collection and guarding and things like that that'd be awesome it's definitely i've done a bit of the kind of organic modeling funneling lofting I tried Fusion and Rhino and trying to improve the kind of proximity to the spindle and the dust, you know, creation by moving all that closer has let me down so many rabbit holes of like crazy <laughs> offshoot wraparound things. And like, <laughs> cool. and in the end, it's like, sure, you could maybe print that, but is it going to break? Is it, does it even work? And so I've kind of pulled it back to this place where it's somewhat organic, but I don't yet know if it's going to withstand the forces of like, the hose attached to it and yeah stuff like yeah. that so we'll find out i think this we should That's be able cool. to have it up and running this week i hope which i'm pretty awesome. excited about because it's always been very challenged you mentioned rhino then what's your go-to well it comes back to idea generation as well like how quickly do you end up in cad where's your sketch environment like do you draw and then go to cad or do you uh, what's your process there i've always drawn poorly but i definitely refined some of that in school and i find it most useful if like we're just trying to chat in the shop right mm. with each other about something and then i find it to be productive i usually get a lot out of it if i make myself do it but i'd say i've transitioned from rhino being my first tool to probably more fusion i think just as i've mm. gotten better at it there's yeah. still the speed of which you can open rhino and get it created is unmatched for me anyway yeah. for so much experience but how about you same i've definitely converted a lot of my processes to fusion over the last few years, but I'm still a bit of a rhino diehard when it comes yeah. to just like quick, quickly getting ideas out. Mm -hmm. It's definitely like I have a rhino file open pretty much all the time. That's just called Sandpit, and it's just like <laughs> thousands of projects that I've either quoted or ideas that I'm fiddling with. Mm -hmm. And it's just yeah, it's just a dumping ground for stuff. Yeah, and it's just such a fast environment just sketch in and work things out i unfortunately yeah same same as you like i definitely find value when i pick up pen and pen and paper absolutely yeah. i need to force myself to do that more often same. but i jump typically i jump straight into rhino because i find a pen and paper i almost immediately get frustrated by the lack of scale yeah yeah. I like, but how do those two thing elements like actually interact uh -huh. with each other? I need to draw this at true scale to get a sense of that. I'm in Rhino in two seconds and the paper's pushed away. But yeah, like I spent two hours on a Zoom call yesterday detailing a project that we're working on with a client who I work very closely with, like collaboratively mm -hmm. with it on the design and basically just shared my Rhino screen for two hours and we like problem solved all the little details of this project. And, yeah. And it's just, I find it a really fantastic environment for 
that stage. Yeah, it's it's so much different for those that haven't used it, I suppose. I always describe Rhino like being able to play with Play-Doh straight away. Like you're immediately mm. playing with Play-Doh, whereas in Fusion, you kind of got to make the formula to make Play-Doh and then make Play-Doh. <laughs> and it's in a one-way direction. Then you got to go backwards through. You can direct model, but it's a yeah. lot more convoluted and there, there's a lot of parallel processes that can happen, I think, in it. You can start modeling and then just leave it and go over here and start modeling and leave it, you know, like, mm. and those could be separate iterations that are just 100 inches apart or something. And then stuff like being able to do like a two curve sweep, right? Sweep two, where you can sweep off of two things with just one profile, whereas in Fusion, you can only do a sweep off of one thing and you have to have a closed profile. You can't just have an open profile. I was playing with that literally today in Rhino. I was working on a customer project and it was just, it's just so fast to iterate. I don't know. I wish there was some hybrid of the two. It'd be pretty great. (laughs) I reckon Rhino, you can time travel and Fusion is like linear time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like one of my favorite tricks in Rhino is to sort of be working through a problem or a project and go, oh, I've accidentally deleted something or that was better like a hundred steps ago. Mm. And I copy, I select everything I'm working on and I cut it like with clipboard and then I undo like a hundred steps back to where I was <laughs> oh and then paste in from the future. And then I've got like both versions oh. of time. Hmm. I do that heaps. I haven't thought about it from a sort of time travel perspective, but like <laughs> I think kind of, kind of works. You, yeah. You can just jump around and it's so flexible. I did find kind of on that same topic a bit ago, I was playing around the web view of like the team hub for fusion you know like you get that weird yeah browser thing you can compare versions in there and, oh, really? and like see actual things that changed in each body or component compared to different versions i mean it's like tedious to go through you got to like select yeah. each thing and it loads and but i thought mm. that you know if you really need it it's there on rhino though i was curious do you, have you ever used the history mode the what? They have a history. It's like history modeling, and I've I've read enough to know it's something like t- a timeline editing, but I've never really gotten it to work in my like quick efforts of trying to try okay. it out. But cool, I'll check that out. Yeah, you know when you drag away like a a dimension off of something and it says you broke history. Ever do that? Maybe I in Rhino. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, you never seen that version five? Yeah. Maybe it's a seven. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'll join you on the 7 soon when my MacBook finally arrives. Is that a couple weeks yet? Still a few weeks away, yeah. I think. Yeah. Sweet. Are you on the process to buy a 3D printer? I think I saw you chatting with somebody else about that. Yeah, look, I've, I think I've had a Prusa in my shopping cart for a year, probably. <laughs> just kind of thinking about it and never quite being able to justify it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem like a lot. I think it was easy to transition from that, from having this really janky reality thing that never worked. And it had printed enough things where I was like, oh, I see the value of this. And it was like 250 yeah. bucks. And then it was like, I just want this to work now. We're wasting so much time. And then it was easier to spend the money on the $1,000 version. Yeah, it's interesting. I. <laughs> it's a funny thing to admit, but I no longer feel free to spend yeah. Company money on whatever I want. Sure. Which yeah. feels really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Having sort of grown the company very like impulsively, I'm just like, oh, I want one of those. What's this tool like? <laughs> Go to the tool shop and spend thousands of dollars on first tool things. To now where I like a thousand dollar printer, I feel like I need to justify it yeah. to my team basically to say, I want to spend company money on this because I think it could benefit us in this way. Yeah. So I think that's why I haven't pulled the pin on a printer, basically. Sure. Or a laser. I'd love a laser engraver. No, because fiber's not very good at wood, right? No. I thought you had a laser. No. Maybe somebody else. Mm. Interesting. I'd love to be able to engrave parts, basically. I'd put our logo or client logos on components. Would it be a standalone machine? Don't know. I was looking at whether we could add a laser head to one of our existing machines. They're usually pretty low uh, wattage, I think. That's been a little bit tempting to me because it's just one process then and you're not having to reset up, make new files. Like it's already there. So you don't have to flip the part over or something to label it. Yeah, yeah. 
I think the, the most eligible candidate is the pencil sharpener because the Maso control has an output for pulse width modulation or whatever the laser needs. That'd be so really I cool. think I could potentially just add a laser head to the pencil sharpener as the sixth tool, just like, like engrave the side of the dowel or the top of the bolt head or I'm not sure. But You can't actually turn the dowel. It's locked into either no, job. It's yeah. Correct. Yeah. Hmm, this is interesting. I could so totally see that one. The thing we've been talking about, we've more and more needed to bray into things as we've been ramping up more products and we just use the engraving tool on the router and it it's okay. It's not great. Yeah. Usually a little bit yeah. rough and Ricky has to blow them out and his finish gets stuck in it. So we've been talking about just making a little that small brass brand like you yep. heat up and then we can just stamp it on things. So I've I've had that as a project to do for a long time in the mill and just haven't got it set up. Yeah, I've milled a few branding irons on our router. Yeah. They work really well. I get frustrated with the electric soldering iron not being hot enough mm. or taking so long to heat up. It's not just like a quick, uh, oh, I just want to brand on that, boom. You've got to wait like 15 minutes for it to get really hot. Oh, wow. Okay. Huh. But I, I had a little project which I never finished. I bought an induction heater coil thing oh. and I had this plan to convert an old drill press into a branding station. So there would be like a brass brand in mounted in the drill press chuck and with an induction coil just mounted around it. So it would just be like <laughs> pump, pump, pump. But I bought some parts on eBay and I don't think they were powerful enough. Like I couldn't get, I could heat up like mild steel really hot, but then the brass components that I was making the branding iron out of didn't work as well with the mm. heat source and I wasn't generating enough mm. energy. Anyway, that Crazy. kind of well I know the next step you need to make sitting in a box. The next step to that is obviously you've got to have some switch that throws a flame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A foot pedal. At least for a video, <laughs> I mean. That'd be nice. Wait, have you ever used those diamond engraving tools on the router? But they're not designed to spin. They're like a little spring-loaded pressure foot, and you can do like really fine, like scratched engravings with them. Haven't no. Uh, we've messed around with them a little bit. For like metals, we, usually. Probably, yeah, metals and plastics. I think they're designed mm. for. We've tried to use them on film face plywood, just to like put fine text or logos into them. Because oh, I've got one client part that we make, which has the client logo on it. It's quite a complex little logo, and it's like you know five minutes of machine time or something to come in yeah. with a point to engraving tool and slowly yeah. pick it all away and then you got to get the depth absolutely perfect otherwise it looks crap and sounds like you need so a laser to, i know right we tried those diamond tools because we thought it would take out the thickness variation and not have to worry so um, much yeah. about you know whether the plywood was 12.2 or 12.4 and how that affected the engrave but didn't get amazing results but haven't done heaps with it I wanted something. I think I saw this at a show or I just imagined it. Basically, you know, like a sewing machine has a pressure foot. Yeah. You're talking about this in a couple different scenarios. I want a roundover or chamfer tool that basically floats on a pressure foot. I'm pretty sure they exist. Yeah, yeah I think they do. Like, like yeah. some kind of crazy expensive attachment. I've seen them on like big five axis machines mm -hmm. where you've got heaps of room for tooling. Mm -hmm. You know, they, mm -hmm. the big aggregates and saws and like. Yeah. Your tools go from being the ISO 30 to like this thing as big as your head. <laughs> I feel like I've seen sort of round over pressure foot sort of things in that application, maybe. Mm. Maybe at a show as well. Yeah, I don't remember where I saw yeah. that, but we've talked about that. We didn't do roundovers on our machine for so long, especially small ones, because like you're saying, the material is never flat. So we're not gonna we're not gonna face the whole sheet to do a roundover <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, what you would do otherwise. Yeah, we've never really done it. We did some big groundovers on a job the other week, which was 32 millimeter. What's that, one and a half inches or something? Yeah. That was fun. Mm -hmm. Last time we made these tables, we did the huge roundover on the inverted table router just like by hand. And, you know, I had an extra coffee and sort of yeah. I was like shaking by the time I'd finished just from the adrenaline because it was kind of sketchy. Anyway, this time we did it all on the CNC and it was, the mm -hmm. result was so much better. Ooh, it was nice. big. Big roundover bit, no chatter. Yeah. John just made a fixture that the parts kind of were seated into and did a great job. Yeah. I find that to be the hardest part with the iMac bases up there, like chamfered on top, which just goes well. That's super easy. But when you flip it over into a fixture, we do a roundover and 
Mm. it's machined right but even the, the fixtures and just the way everything aligns it's hard to get it just right so that you don't notch in on on accident and you kind of just have to do them light and then sand them in but yeah that's kind of always uh tainted my view of how to properly do it and like i think this little guy was the first time i actually got it's it's just such a different accuracy and ability to hold things that I was not I've never visualized that in my head of like, oh I could do a mm. backside round over on a second off. That'll <laughs> totally work. That's cool. I guess you're controlling every surface in that part though, right? Yeah. There's, it's not like the factory surface of a plywood sheet. Yeah, for sure, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever measured the surface of your router bed? Like the flatness? Mm mm. Had a guy that worked here that did that when we first moved and i was pretty astounded i think one spot there was a low spot it was like 20 thou low this is after you've surfaced your mdf or just measuring the aluminium table whatever your yeah so we have like a phenolic bed the table and yours would be aluminum i guess then but yeah measuring yeah. with like a indicator yeah driving back and forth and you would just you measured it and put it into a little like I think it was an Excel table and then he colorized it. So I still have that. I don't know if it's still accurate, but it's pretty shocking. Cool. I like to show that to people that start here and they're like, what do you mean? It's not flat. And I'm like, nah, fortunately not. Is that relevant though? Once you've decked your sacrificial? I don't think so. I mean, if it's moving yeah. around, I mean, it matters in the sense of if you're putting something like we've more and more, like you were, you commented on that video of our fixture plate, right? Sits yeah. on top of the table or anything you stack up yourself that's not faced and oh so that doesn't sit on top of the sacrificial sheet you take the sacrificial off to do that mm -hmm. yep oh yeah okay then that matters right yeah we can't take our sacrificial off we glue it we used to do that we did that a couple times but we switch it yeah. so often part of the way yeah, we okay especially when we we're doing more job shop work we had just kind of trained ourselves into you know what's the best way to hold apart and often it's not the vacuum sacrificial table because of the surface area or you know any of those things and so we've over time tried to create different little fixturing setups and they're pretty good most of the time mm, that's cool nice to have a listener question for the first time yeah for sure yeah i was curious what what your answer to that was the app. shopify to air table thing we use an app called air power ah. which was just in the shopify app store not the Airtable apps seems good initially we just used it because we only switched to shopify a couple of years ago and initially we just used it to set shopify up and kind of populate all the bulk data oh wow interesting. it's great for syn syncing you know hundreds of meta fields or whatever they're called stuff like that do you still use it syn that way you still sync the well, product data? Yeah, we do now. We'd set up the website and then we kind of turned our power off because we're like, cool, it's done. But then when more recently we turned it back on because we started using it more actively to sync regularly between Airtable and Shopify. You can basically control your entire Shopify store just from Airtable. <laughs> every product, every price, Inventory? description. Yep. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it gets scary when you're like hitting the sync button. You're like, did I check all the right things? To, you know, like, oh man! You can potentially like destroy your Shopify store. Yeah. If you're not, if you don't sync it correctly, but yeah, no, it's really powerful. That's interesting. I wasn't even thinking about it in that regard. I think the question maybe had maybe it was just about Shopify and Airtable, but I was thinking of it as I guess I thought you were syncing orders out of it or something out of Shopify. How do you? Isn't that part of your ARP that you like? sync your orders to Airtable? Yeah. Orders from Shopify come into Airtable automatically. I honestly don't know which <laughs> channel they're coming through anymore, whether it's through AirPower or through Zapier. Ah. It's one of the two. And then you keep track of them going through kind of work production until they ship in Airtable? Yeah. Yeah, all the production workflow goes through Airtable. We've still got some weird double ups like... We still go back into Shopify right at the end to like fulfill the order and notify the customer oh. through Shopify because hmm. we haven't set up the connection to that level where we can like ideally it'd be nice to be able to say project complete in Airtable and that sends the Shopify email of like your things being shipped or whatever but we're kind of doing it in both places at the moment when it comes hmm. to the final fulfillment but yeah most of that all the production happens in Airtable. All of our job shop work 
probably the thing I have the most developed in our table is from an inquiry form through all the way to like, you know, all the tasks, the projects for the project are there. And then you can click a checkbox and it'll send the customer like the final pickup email with the invoice and stuff. It's all automated. That all happened bit by bit over time. It was like, oh, I think I could add this part. You know, like it was never like all at once. And now I'm a little daunted. I want to try to put Shopify orders through because we use, I've always used ShipStation, which combines orders and you can do kind of kidding and stuff and make templates for shipping. I don't know. All of our products to date have always been kind of on the shelf ready. So I've never had to like produce them or kit them in certain ways. I'm thinking at this point that the whole Shopify to Airtable thing would be not needed, but maybe, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, we're we're pretty much print on demand with almost all our products now. Hmm. There's a few things that we keep on the shelf, but even the parts that we do keep on the shelf, it's typically like, cool, what's the order? Pull some of that, some of that, put it together into the customer's order. Yeah. There's, there's almost nothing which is just like, oh, one of those, thank you, boom, like in a box. <laughs> like everything either gets assembled or made in some way, so it all goes through the production yeah. workflow in Airtable where we can tag people to be responsible for it or allocate it. Do you think, is there, I guess my sense is that in, in America, like there's such a such a high priority for things to be ready to ship and like, free shipping and stuff like that amazon culture yeah is it the same for you anecdotally i reckon that's less of a thing here amazon or that sort of uh warehouse style yeah shipping is definitely a thing here but it's less i think culturally pervasive yeah and so yeah we've very rarely had any sort of issue with having one to two weeks on a product shipping out like it's as long as that's clearly communicated yeah. up front and expectations are set, then that works quite well for us. Obviously, we're always trying to do better because shorten those lead times because I feel like it's more attractive to a potential customer if they can see, oh, one to two days instead of one to two weeks. But yep, I feel like it's less of an expectation here. I don't know. I've resisted the free shipping thing for a long time and the world had started to shift to that. And it just had never made sense. I was like, how I'm thinking about it again right now, how absurd it is to like try to compete with these billion dollar companies. Basically, it's like we're trying to compare. (laughs) And that's what the consumer basically has built up in their mind is, oh, what do you mean? It's not free shipping. And there's so much data to prove that this is where I finally changed my my process on that was for here. Anyway, there's so many data points of how much lower conversion rates are because people get to the end of checkout and all of a sudden there's a price added and they're like what do you mean especially for oregonians where we live like there's no sales tax (laughs) so yeah right a price is a price and that's kind of been a weird thing in america too where sales tax is really complicated where it's by state and different states have been adding it on their own. Ooh. It's not synced. And we and literally the small business owner has to deal with it for each state. It is a nightmare. Frightening. It's wow. crazy. I don't know where I was going with all that other than that it's tough. And just conversion, like shipping. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, this is a funny thing to talk about, you know, semi-publicly, but... <laughs> For years, for years, I resisted doing anything like free shipping. Like I just hated the idea of hiding, concealing anything in a product price. I was just like, the product price should be the product price. And then the customer should clearly see like how much shipping is going to be. 12 months ago or something, I was talked into, finally talked into changing that (laughs) a little bit, starting to build in some packing, handling time into the product price building in like the fees that the carriers would charge us yeah. on everything they shipped and just putting some of that stuff in. And then so the customer still sees a shipping, gets a live shipping quote from the carrier when they check out. Yep. That fee is much smaller than what they used to see. Oh, I see. You're like subsidizing and it kind of? Subsidizing. Well, subsidizing it within the product price. So yeah, the product sure. price now, it's all, it's all, everything costs the same, yeah. but it's just shifted slightly. Yeah, same as, same as what I did. And it, made a massive difference to conversion did it really like it freaked me out i was just like wow this is really a thing oh man it's it's kind of sad but yeah it's i I, know it definitely works it definitely works and even with my awareness of that of what we're doing and how effective that is i still you know as a consumer if i'm on a website and i see free shipping i'm like it's like little candies that go off in my mind i'm like oh yeah great 
Yep. It's hilarious. Well, you know, so it's interesting you bring that up. You know, those little like, I don't remember if you do it or not, but in the last week I had this click for me. There's basically a very small checklist that you look for when you're going to somebody's website, right? And you don't even think about this. I'll tell you my my version of this. It's like, yeah. is it sustainably made probably in some way? Like, how do I know? Where, did, where was this made? That's pr- a pretty high thing now for most, I think. Is it free yeah. shipping? How quickly <laughs> am I going to get it? Yeah compatibility potentially with other things so there's like all these different factors and it depends on what you're shopping for i want to call them like product feature icons right often like they're like shown around proof points proof points yeah okay okay i like that but there's all these plugins on shopify that make those icons for you yeah right you can make your own but a lot of them have hundreds of thousands of icons you can choose from i mean like i have a one or two that's basically like with the products that ship free have a little free shipping button yeah. we do make a pretty strong effort almost all of our packaging is completely recyclable but i don't have that anywhere right mm. but those mm. little things i think are their trust their honesty transparency right those are pretty important i think it's become more and more i keep reading these marketing reports that say that this is important to consumers and i i'm just not doing that right and i think that would yeah. help a very small amount of people feel more confident to purchase something uh, yeah i would say it help a lot of people feel more confident yeah we've been trained to trust those little icons yes whether they're true or not and i think they're highly effective yeah do you have yeah. things like that i think you describe it in text often right yeah we're pretty texty you've got some little proof point icons i think on our front page but not sort of on our product pages mm-hmm. as such yeah, it's something that's probably going to change with our new Shopify 2.0 theme build that's still in the works. Yeah, mm. those are big projects. They are. What's your plan? Get back into the... You're already back, it seems like. I figured there'd be a little more mental fog or physical fog or something, but you seem good uh, to go. I'm good to go. Monday, Tuesday, I was a bit... I was pretty overwhelmed. Yeah. Getting back into the week and working out what the hell was going on, but... um. No, I'm feeling good. Awesome. Glad I think it was it was good. It was a really, aside from being sick, it was a really good mental break for me to mm. be out of the business for a week and really good for the team here to do it all themselves for a week and sort of break some of those little dependencies which just naturally occur. It'd be nice if we could plan those things because I have the same experience every time I go away for like even a short vacation where it's a couple days or something and all these things come up like, oh, why have I been, why have I been doing this? Why haven't? it's like what is going on (laughs) yeah awesome yeah cool man well i hope your print works out yeah thanks me too i haven't checked it in a while i'm anxious (laughs) i expect to see some nice organic slow-mo dust footage i know right i I almost bought a fog machine recently for this exact (laughs) reason i still might i've thought about might be getting just dry ice instead i don't really want a fog machine Yes, you do. I, I have a couple um, things that would work pretty well for it now. I didn't even think about the dust spindle thing. Yeah, I need one, I guess. Yeah, the person needs one in the enclosure just for those rave lights. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. Some little Lego people in there that are like <laughs> raving. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. Have a good day. Yeah, see ya. Catch Bye. you soon. Bye. Boop.